This episode, we kick off the podcast taking a look at Africa, where a chicken literally scratches the earth into existence. And for our fact, we're taking a quick dive into an ancient Nigerian storytelling ceremony called Tales by Moonlight. Stay tuned in and turned up as we take a look at all that and more here on the Colored Folklore Podcast. Episode 1, Africa, Yoruba Creation Story. Welcome one, welcome all to the podcast examining folklore the world over. Playing us in there is the song Mr. Mischief by the London-based All Good Folks. Besides having the requisite folk listed in their name, they're an artistic collective fighting the good fight across the pond. And I have to admit, the instant I heard this tune... I knew I wanted it introducing the podcast. And just as they're crucial to the audio portion of our podcast, responsible for the beautiful visual appeal would be our artistic team. Arthur, who created our logo, and Jacqueline, who created our podcast cover art and website design. And we have links to their portfolios on the Ally page and in the show notes. Please, please check them out. Their work is a deity send, and we couldn't be happier. Luckier or more blessed to have them on board. The final piece of this team that I keep speaking of is me, your host, Gree Omenma. I'm a global studies scholar additionally pursuing a minor in folklore and fairy tale studies who's forever been a fan of the written word. Reading story after story, I actually... I boffed an entire semester of school because I was busy reading graphic novels instead of doing that, uh, you know, attendant class thing. But let's not get into that. We're going to talk about the show. The format of the Colored Folklore Podcast will be relatively simple. Each week, we'll bring you a story from another part of the globe, followed by a folklore fact from that same region. Doing our little round-the-world boogie, we'll have us starting with Sub-Saharan Africa, then moving over into South America, then North America, then the Arctic, then Australia, slash Torres Strait Islands, slash Polynesian Islands, then Asia, and ending up in the Middle East, slash Mediterranean Basin, slash North Africa. Let's see how many slashes we can get in here. Then we'll go ahead and start all over again. However, watch for that eighth week. We might have a surprise for you every once in a while as we reset our global tale trajectory. This week, we're bringing you a creation tale from the Yoruba people of West Africa. One of the largest ethnic groups in Africa, there are 60 million Yoruba people worldwide. And this is an ancient culture with a long oral history that traces its origins as far back as 700 BCE. That, that is a long time ago. Among the most urbanized people in Africa, they were the prominent culture in all of eastern Nigeria, all the way up until 11th century current era. The Yoruba religious belief system is called Aitun, which refers to all the songs, history, stories, and mythology that makes up their culture. Among the diaspora, one of the more prevailing principles is the existence of Orisha, referring to any number of deity manifestations in the Yoruba religion. They are the subject of our story today. In the beginning, there was the sky above and the waters below, and everyone was happy. Olorun, the supreme deity and lord over all, was the commander of the sky, and Olokun, the wise and the powerful, 
was the goddess of the sea. All of the other gods and goddesses, called Orisha, lived in the heavens, while at the time, Olokun commanded over the water all on her own, and therein, by ignoring all the constant drama of the rest of her family, is the smartest creature that we'll be talking about today. The Orisha were lounging about the Balboa tree, as they do every other day, because, uh, God. Wearing the most beautiful of clothes, decorated in the most incredible golden jewelry, the sibling entities looked at one another, and they smiled. However, this life was not enough for one of those beings. Obatala, known among his siblings for his passion and hard work, his empathy and his honor, jumped to his feet. <laughs> Why y'all just lounging around, clowning all the time? We are literally gods. We can do anything we want any day of the week. Shango, bringer of thunder and lightning, smiled and tilted his head back. Yo, time ain't even been invented yet. What's a week? Everyone laughed, discussing amongst themselves the novel concept of time. Obatala stormed off, not at all recognizing the irony. Obatala went directly to his father, the great Olorun, to plead his case. Look, Pops... <laughs> I mean, the sky jazz is, is cool and all, but I, you know, I, I, I think I'm going to get my own place. Olorun looked around, and he blinked. Uh, you know this is everywhere, right? Obatala said, uh, yeah, 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 but, but what if there was, like, more? See, see, this is a sky. That down there is a sea. What if, uh, what if there was, like, land in between? Olorun nodded to himself. Sold. Just first check with your brother, Arun Mila, to see how all this works out. Obatala was startled. This had gone a little easier than he expected. He looked at the sea. I, I thought at least you want me to talk to Olokun before I... Nah. Obatala narrowed his eyes. Yeah, I really think I should ask him before I just... I said, you good. Not wanting to look a supreme deity in the mouth... Obatala skedaddled out the door, thinking, yeah, it'll be fine. I don't see this coming back around in a negative way at all. Orun Mila, Orisha of knowledge and prophecy, and eldest of Olorun's children, looked through his Benjamin Franklin-style, steampunky, really, really old-school glasses at the cauldron just beginning to boil. This was an incredibly elaborate spell. Holding a beaker in one hand and the cauldron lid in the other, he needed the utmost concentration in order to add just the right... What's up? Jumping and dropping the entire beaker into the cauldron, a comical puff of blue smoke spat out, followed by the cauldron choking loudly, wheezing, and then rolling over with cartoon X's for eyes. Orun Mila sighed and threw his glasses on the counter. Damn, what was that? Obatala strode into his brother's laboratory, peeping out the counter and the ruined experiment. Oh, you know, just a, a spell that would provide us and the rest of the fam with divine protection for the next thousand lifetimes. No big deal, it's fine. Cool, cool. Look, I need some help. Arun Mila muttered under his breath. That's an understatement. Obatala turned to his brother. What was that? I uh, said, uh, oh, what's the predicament? Obatala smiled. Dad, let me borrow creation, but I think I need to gear up. I don't even know how to get down there. Arun Mila scratched his chin, 
Searching diligently about his cluttered bookshelf, he began throwing things this way and that as he told Obatala what was needed. A gold chain, a cat, sand, a chicken, and a palm nut. Dodging the books and jars, Obatala laughed at the list. Okay, yeah, nice. I'm so glad I came to you for your help. Well, if I'm climbing, how am I supposed to carry all this stuff? Arunmila grinned and turned around, having finally found what he was looking for. Obatala yelped. A snail shell? Arunmila tossed it to his younger brother. That's just for the sand. The rest, you're going to have to figure out on your own. Obutala grumbled as he gathered literally all the sand in the heavens. He had already managed to find a hen and a cat, who each took purchase on his opposite shoulders. At least now he didn't have to figure out how to carry them all the way down that chain. Obutala filled the snail shell all the way to the top before finding a perfect palm nut and sliding both into his front pockets. Now where, oh where... Could he find a... Remembering his siblings, Obatala ran back to the Balboa tree. Bursting onto the scene, he surprised more than a few, but quickly impressed them with his story about leaving the sky. When he told them that he needed their gold jewelry in order to make a chain and climb down on it, though, they were a little less than enthused. Finally convincing his youngest brother and sister to give him theirs, he looked up, smiling. Anybody else? Y'all gotta help me out. I'ma need more than just two chains. All the other Orisha threw their gold jewelry at Obatala. Here, here, they clamored. As long as you don't make that terrible and super obvious joke at our expense, you can have all our stuff. Obatala nodded at the cat and then at the chicken. Hmm, 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 hmm. All was going according to plan. This is not going according to plan! Obatala yelled, hanging from the end of his not nearly long enough chain. After gathering all the jewelry from his siblings, he went to see Heaven's goldsmith and had him smelt all the jewelry into one incredibly strong, incredibly long gold chain. Hooking it onto the edge of Heaven, Obatala checked the pine nut in one pocket, checked the shell with the sand in the other pocket secured the cat on one shoulder, secured the hen on the other shoulder, and began his climb down. That was over six days ago. He had been climbing ever since, and his body was starting to feel the burn. He looked around. All he could see was water everywhere, and he was still quite a ways up from what he saw. Suddenly, he heard a whisper carry in the wind. He looked to one side. There sat a hen, napping, softly snoring, thinking, hmm, I didn't even know chickens could snore. He looked to the other side. His cat scratched and began to squat. No, 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 off to the side, off to the side. And that's when he heard it again. Looking down, there was only water. So he looked up. There was a tiny, tiny dot as far up as he could see. He squinted. Orunmila? Only nearly a seven-day climb straight up away, Orunmila cupped his hands around his mouth and yelled again. Drop the sand and then the chicken. Obatala said, Dad's band is called Release a Kraken? Arunmila sighed deeply. This game of two-person telephone sucked. 
Once seven-day vocal communication was figured out between the two, Obatala finally emptied out the snail shell underneath him and then shrugged the chicken off his shoulder. The instant the hen landed, hungry from the long climb and cranky from the whole being dropped from the sky thing, the chicken began clucking and scratching until the sand was scattered to the four winds. And thus began land. Obatala hung drop from the chain, stuck the landing, and looked around, hands on his hips. I'ma call this place Ife. Now time for me to get some food! Setting the cat off his shoulder, Obatala buried the palm nut, and almost as soon as the hole was covered back up, the tree grew to full size. The tree bore lots of fruit, and as they fell, they burrowed their way into the ground, sprouting up just as fast as the first, repeating the process over and over again until there was an entire forest of the most lush, ripe, amazing palm trees ever to be seen. Obatala plopped himself under a tree, cracked open some fruit, and smiled to himself. Yeah, this was going to be all right. At first, Obatala enjoyed exploring. He did need to find that chicken, after all, and there seemed to be all this bland stuff everywhere he looked. Whether there were hills and mountains where the chicken hadn't scratched at all, or valleys and canyons where the chicken had scratched too deeply, there were all kinds of formations that had never been looked on by anyone or anything. As much as it was keeping him busy, the conversation was a bit lacking. Having not yet found the chicken, the cat had to unfortunately hear it all day long, which turned into weeks. That then turned into months. Stretched out next to a pond, the cat sniffed to itself. Enough was enough. The cat rolled over and closed its eyes. Obatala noisily sighed and looked over at his friend. Oh, oh, you gonna do me like that? You, you just gonna ignore, you know what? You, know, you, you do you, you do you, boo-boo. Obatala walked over to the pond to get some water when, for the first time, he noticed his reflection. What the? Oh, oh, wait a minute. Narrowing his eyes, turning his head, feeling around his face, he realized he was looking at himself. Rubbing his chin and thinking, Obatala realized the solution to his problem was right in front of his face. Digging deep into the banks of the pond, he gathered handfuls of mud and clay. Using his reflection, he very, very carefully crafted a figure as identical to himself as he could muster. And as soon as he finished the first, he moved on to another, and then another. And he kept going and going, and the next thing he knew, he'd put a variable population between himself and the pond. Thirsty after so much work, he wiped his brow and leaned against the nearest palm tree, taking a sticky hand back. It seemed that deep amounts of sap had ran down into any number of empty gourds lying at the bottom of the tree. Obatala cocked his head to the side. Yeah, I wonder what this tastes like. Picking up the gourd and taking a deep swallow, Obatala shook his head to the side. <laughs> oh, now that was much, much better than water. Unable to quench his thirst, Obatala drank bowl after bowl of the palm wine before heading back to work on making living creatures out of clay. The only problem is, the wine may or may not have clouded his judgment. Not quite finishing any number of clay people, making them look vastly different than the first ones, and in some cases, making rather extremely deformed entities. He used up the last of the clay bed and didn't realize what he had just done. Having run out of raw materials, Obatala got to his feet and called out to his father. Hey, daddy! <laughs> Where my people at? Where my people? Where my people at? Where my people at? Hey, oh, where my people at? Olurun sighed, as he often does with his children, and asked his son what was needed of him. 
Look at what I did. <laughs> Look at what I did. This is, is going to be awesome. Uh, once again, what do you need me for? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, you were, these are clay. I need, I need them to be, I need to be alive. So if you breathe, if you breathe into them, then they'll be friends. How many of us have them? Talking about friends. And with that, Obatala fell backwards and promptly began snoring. Rolling his eyes and rolling up his proverbial sleeves, Olurun breathed life from the kingdom of heaven into each and every one of Obatala's creations below. If not for the hustle and bustle of the newly formed metropolis, who knows how long Obatala would have slept. After all, he was now laying in a comfortable bed, in a comfortable house, in a comfortable community. Obatala's eyes fluttered open. Looking around, he locked eyes with the cat. Shrugging, the cat practically telegraphed, Hey, don't look at me, I didn't do all this. There was a clucking from the floor. Looking down, Obatala saw his hen bobbing along. Damn, they even found my chicken. Suddenly, the doors burst open and in marched a parade of... A parade of... What was he going to call these things? People? Obatala didn't have time to think of anything else before they lifted him on their shoulders and carried him out of the house, cheering his name. Three cheers for the creator! Hip hip! Hooray! Hip hip! Hooray! Hip hip! Okay, okay, we get it. Obatala looked at what these people had accomplished. Having cleared some of the forest for supplies, they had already sprouted an entire new community for them to live and breathe in. Obatala nodded to himself and then threw his arms up, pumping them over each shoulder, happy with the admiration. The crowd cheered again before setting him on his feet. He noticed that a portion of the new city, though, hadn't quite developed the same as the rest. So he walked over to see what was the matter. And that's when he saw it. Looking around, there were a number of people who didn't look quite like the others. Some were moving slower than others, limbs not quite in proportion. Some didn't have limbs at all. Some weren't able to move at all, and they were being taken care of by others. Everywhere he looked, he was shown the result of power and arrogance, not tempered by discipline. Obatala shook his head with disbelief. No, 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 I didn't... I didn't mean for it to be like this. One of the people smiled at him. Like what, creator? Obatala started to cry. I messed up, y'all. That's on me. I didn't... I could have made y'all normal. The smiling person put his hand on Obatala's shoulder. What's normal? Obatala took a deeper look at the community. They were moving slower, yes. But with any less joy? No. With any less pride? Not at all. They were helping themselves, and more importantly, they were helping others. Obatala dried his eyes and stood. That, that's a really good question. Let's never answer it. Obatala put his arm around the person, and they walked together out into the community. Music rang out in the community as God and person alike celebrated the creation of land and of people. The other Orisha had come down from the heavens to see what Obatala had done, and they were very impressed. 
When anyone felt the need to point out how some of the people looked different than others, Obatala was there in a flash, letting them know all of creation was perfect, just the way it was, and under his protection, especially those with special needs. The rest of the Orisha were very proud of their Obatala and very happy with creation and with people. Returning to the heavens with his brothers and sisters, Obatala promised to spend his time equally between the Sky Kingdom and the Earth below. The people, understanding and proud of their creator, were happy to see him ascend, but couldn't wait for him to come back home. Everyone except for Olokun. Goddess of the sea, empress of the ocean, giver of life to all creatures large and small that swam, dove, and paddled through the water. She had never once been asked if this land could take up any amount of her space, let alone half, half of her entire domain was now land, the party which she did not receive an invitation to either out of shame or something else was pretty much the last straw. Positive that the heavens and now this in-between did not respect her at all or her domain. She sent a massive tsunami swallowing all four corners of the earth in a bid to take the land back from her kin. Terrified at the disaster being brought down upon them, the humans scrambled the best that they could to get to higher ground. All they needed to do was just get to higher ground. But alas, this was just not meant to be for most of humankind. Though struck by terror, unsure of where to turn, humanity knew that it needed help from the Orisha. All the humans yelled this way and that was there anyone there to save them. Had they all ascended, was anyone left that could help humanity survive? Freak-a-lank! Ashu, messenger Orisha, two-stepped outside of the monument. Located at the highest point of Obatala's kingdom, Ishu was the last of the Orisha to be actually on Earth, and he, evidently, had not stopped partying. As the waters continued to rise up the side of the mountain, the vestiges of humanity ran to his side. Out of breath and horrified, they begged for his protection. Mm, nah. They blinked and looked at one another. Surely he was joking. Nope, I ain't playing, and don't call me Shirley. They groaned, even upon extinction. That one was particularly painful. You know Olokun, cause I do. She gonna kick my butt, I ain't got no beef with her. Y'all on your own. Humanity pleaded, at least get Ubatala to help. Nah. I ain't gonna do that neither. I in the waters steadily creeping up the mountain. They fell to their knees, pleading, Why? Why? Ishu switched up his dance to a bit of a shuffle. What have you done for me lately? <laughs> Shoulders bobbing side to side, he saw his message fell on deaf ears. This engine gonna need a little bit of grease on the wheels. Palm up, he closed his eyes and nodded. The humans dropped their heads. A tribute? A sacrifice? Where were they going to find a... <laughs> The bleeding of a goat interrupted their terror, and they turned around. A mountain goat was paddling through the water in circles. Looking back up at Ichu, humanity weakly grinned. Ichu smiled and nodded, folding his arms. That'll do, goat. That'll do. Having heard the news from a panting Ichu, Obatala, Orunmila, and the mighty Olurun himself immediately made their way to land. 
comforting the people the best they could, Olorun roared. We were told by the brave Ishu how he single-handedly attempted to best the mighty Olokun, but that she was too powerful, too evil, and had called us all horrible names. Humanity, you are lucky to have such a brave and war... Looking at the questioning faces of the humans all around him, Olorun stopped. None of that happened, did it? He didn't do any of that, did he? The people slowly shook their heads no. Olorun, once again, dropped his head. <sighs> Olokun, could you please come up here? In a flash, Olokun rose out of the water, a Nubian princess sitting on a glimmering throne. First time. First time in a whole damn story you holler at me, and it's damn near the third act. Obatala whispered to his father. Daddy, I told you we should finish that sentence and see what happens. Obatala mimed, zipping his mouth shut and throwing away the key. Olokun stood amongst shouts from the sea of slay and work it and walked down from a cascading waterfall to speak eye to eye with the sky god. You have the sky. I have the water. That was our deal. Olokun Listen, for time immemorable, literally before time was invented, this is how we live. Olokun, we can... And then, all of a sudden, one day, half my entire kingdom is covered by this land? Olokun, please, just... Just calm down. Her eyes flashed, and a 60-foot wave of water rose behind her, threatening to engulf the rest of Obatala's land. Tell me to calm down again. Say, say it, say it to my face one more time. Just t tell me, tell me to calm down. All three attempted not to flinch, but they managed to stay quiet. Once assured there would be no more attempts to tell her how she should feel, she let the water fall. Olorun cleared his throat. We may have... Obatala cleared his throat. Olorun shot him a side eye, but revised. I, okay, I may have neglected a common courtesy prior to the creation of this middle kingdom. Olokun folded her arms and shot up an eyebrow. However, there are now living creatures which inhabit this land, some of which you have already decimated with the- Olokun snapped her fingers. The humans that were once lifeless beings beneath the water instantly became creatures of all sorts and sizes, racing this way and that, their appreciation for their queen was second only to their newfound love and appreciation for life, no longer burdened by the need to live on land. There are still these others. Olokun raised her fingers to Thanos' snap once again, and all three Orisha raised their hands. Okay, okay, wait, wait, wait. We can do, we can do. Let's work out a deal. Olokun was listening. If, uh, if we can beat you in a contest, the land gets to stay? Olokun scoffed. If you can be me. The three Orisha looked at each other and nodded. Olokun laughed. <laughs> okay, this I gotta see. You name it. Let's do it. Arun Mila and Obatala turned towards each other fervently. Olorun calmed them down. He knew exactly what the contest would be. We challenge you to a weaving competition. Arun Mila turned to the human beings. It was nice knowing y'all. Obatala would have laughed if he wasn't so full of despair. 
Daddy, she, she literally the goddess of weaving. That's like, that's like challenging Duvernay to a directing contest. Olorun shushed his son. The entire time, Olokun was doubled over laughing. I knew this was a good idea. <laughs> I haven't laughed like that in forever. <laughs> oh, mommy, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. Okay. All right. If I can't beat you, I don't even deserve my throne, so it's all good. It's going to be good. Hey, we'll even have your humans judge. Flicking her wrist at the humans, she walked to one corner of the last bastion of humanity, and she began to weave. The three Orisha put their heads together. Olokun had just begun, but humanity was already clamored about her, ooing and eyeing at her skill. Obatala stomped at the ground. Damn, Daddy, what was you thinking? Olorun whispered, Son, we don't have to beat her. We just have to make sure she doesn't beat us. He watched to make sure no one was looking. He whistled softly, and out of the still soaking wet underbrush, a chameleon climbed out and crawled up to Olorun's shoulder. Olorun smiled and whispered to the chameleon, who then crawled back down and made his way carefully between the humans, climbing the tree directly behind Olokun. The chameleon looked down as she weaved an intricately deft, virtually impossible-to-challenge, reality-defying pattern. The chameleon's eyes popped right out of its head. Oh, boy. He strained. And he strained some more. And finally, he managed to copy the pattern. Olorun nodded and began weaving the very same thing out of the fabric of existence. Their results would be identical. Humanity slowly trailed away from Olokun over to Olorun and marveled at his exact same weave. Olokun had no idea how they were holding a candle to her. All she knew is that she didn't like it. Narrowing her eyes, she discarded the weave and began another. This one was so beautiful. It made humanity cry out loud and weep in admiration. Some of the population even fainted, the chameleon being almost one of them. Knowing what would become of him if he failed Olorun, he set to the task of imitating this latest, indescribably intricate, freakishly beautiful, incredible weave. Nearly exerting himself into a coma, the chameleon was finally able to do it. Humanity once again was torn between the two Orisha, ripping their clothes, hitting their knees. The beauty was too much. Completely and utterly perturbed at Olorun's seemingly perfect pivot, Olokun looked around. Tilting her head back and looking straight up, she saw a chameleon perched above a tree, mimicking her every move. She dropped what she was doing and yelled up to the chameleon. What you think you're doing? The chameleon dropped his imitation and with his natural lime-green appearance, looked over both his shoulders. He looked down at her, eyes wide, and pointed at himself in mock surprise. Yes, you. What do you think you doing? Just, you know, slowly climbing down this tree. The chameleon tried to make a not-so-stealthy escape. Were you just showing Olorun my work? The chameleon thought for a moment. No, you weren't just showing them exactly what I was doing so that I wouldn't be able to win this competition. Nope, 
So the supreme ruler of all creation didn't ask you to spy on me because the only way that they could beat me, the only female mentioned by name in this entire story was by cheating. Nope. Olokun dropped her weave. That's it. We done. Go tell them they win. If this is the only way they know how, they can have a stupid land. These humans weak anyway. I'm going to get rid of this flood, but ain't no way you getting half my kingdom. The floodwaters started to recede, eventually leaving Obatala about a third of the planet. Olukun made her way to the shore and yelled to the three scheming Orisha. Y'all hear that? You win. You're too small for me. Take your precious land back. Just make sure you stay out my way and respect the ocean. Flipping them off over her shoulder, she dove back into the sea. The humans cheered, and Orunmila clapped Obatala on the back. Humans respecting the earth? I don't see this coming back around in a negative way at all. Olurun and Orunmila went back to the heavens, and Obatala stayed with humanity, still caring for others and protecting them with all that he is and all that he ever will be. be honest, when reading through the different creation myths, what made me want to go with today's story was, number one, God getting drunk. That still, I mean, that absolutely is my favorite part. And two, the creation of non-ideal entities and this uh, becoming something that was celebrated, not shunned. You know, I am I'm very, very happy to see body positive messaging, not just in our myths, but I mean, it's ancient myths. I love that. And I hope society does and feels the same way now, you know? Celebrating that everyone looks different, everyone feels different, everyone is different. And that's not just okay, but I mean, it's really freaking cool. For the fact this week, we're sticking with Nigeria and introducing a concept that I loved. Something called Tales by Moonlight. Let's go back. Way back. Back in a time. Just imagine. You live in a community where there's no such thing as technology. At least not by modern electronic standards. Everyone has their particular duty. They stay true to themselves, to their family, to their community. They work all day and all night because that's, that's what you do. It's what you want to do and what your community needs you to do. So then it's the end of the day. You've all come together. Everyone is prepping their meals together. Everyone coming together to do what folks do. Everyone's laughing, doing their thing. And as the moonlight shines down, you have a variable night at the Apollo where Etan is shared amongst the community, where tales are shared amongst the community. A folk song, a fable, a myth, a bedtime story. Beneath the moonlight, culture is handed down one generation to the next. Tales by Midnight. Now, what's awesome and furtherly brilliant about that is that in October of 1983, the Nigerian Television Authority, the NTA Network, began airing a show called... Of course, Tales by Midnight, created by Dr. Victoria Izikoli, former program director at NTA, as a bit of an homage slash competitor to Sesame Street after talking to some of the show's producers the year before. The Good Doctor even had folk tales recorded in their indigenous language all over the country as research and resource materials for the show's eventual content. Please check out the show notes for not just links to information on on these tales, on, on this particular fact, but also for uh, different comments and websites and anything helping to send you in the direction of some amazing African folklore. 
So that's the show, folks. I hope I didn't chase you off too soon. Please, please try and stick around. This is only one corner of the globe. Trust me, we have a Herculean task ahead of us in tackling the rest. And please tell me that myth pun didn't fall on deaf ears. Yeah, yeah, you got me. I know you got me. (laughs) Thanks goes out again to all good folks for Mr. Mischief, the intro and outro music for the podcast. All stings are mentioned by title and artist in the show notes. Thank you to Arthur for the kick-ass logo, to Jacqueline for the badass cover art, and special shout-outs go to Olivia and Sandia, two phenomenally talented artists that are allies to the show and who we're hoping to work with in the future. Please, please check them out on the Allies page. Their information, their portfolios are there, as is the rest of the artist, and they're pretty amazing. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, please drop us a line at info at coloredfolklore.com or look us up on any of our socials, the Facebook, the Twitter, the Instagram with the handle Colored Folklore. And of course, the best way to get at us is to check out the website www.coloredfolklore.com, where all of the afore information is listed. If you are a business interested in uh, in sponsoring us or running an ad with us or just starting up a dialogue with us, uh, holla at your boy. All our sponsors, all shout outs, everything, everyone, they're all in our ally page but we are always looking for those in the community who fight the good fight, especially if you're a person of color or have a product from a person of color that you enjoy or have a business uh, headed up by a person of color that you would like to promote. Even if you're not, just let us know. We are here to help promote work in the community, help to support the community, and hopefully in the future we can get some more shout-outs going uh, at the end of these podcasts. Until next time, y'all, make sure to be safe to yourself and to each other. Be smart for your sake and for all others. And be super man. And you know this kind of works. I'm going to keep it. It's canon. It's it. It's done. Staying in. I'm owning it. 